Welcome to the Paul Gunn Podcast. Paul is an American pastor and chaplain who seeks to teach the Bible in an easy to understand and inspirational way to people of all ages. He believes the truths found in the scriptures have the power to change lives. Paul's church has a diverse mix of nationalities and ethnicities where the scriptures are taught in seven languages. When he's not serving his church, he's serving the military as a chaplain. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoy this edition of the Paul Gunn Podcast. The title of my message today is What You Should Know About the Enemy. Don't you want to be prepared for the enemy? And in this case, I'm talking about spiritual enemies. However, in the book of Nehemiah, they're talking about enemies that were not necessarily spiritual enemies, but were people enemies that were coming against their rebuilding of the wall. Let's recap where we are in this story about Nehemiah. The Jews had been scattered to foreign lands and they had been ruled by other people. A king, one of the kings that the people were under in their diaspora allowed Jews, a kind king, allowed Jews to return to Jerusalem. So many people returned to Jerusalem, and over the course of a hundred years, they had not rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. So they were living among rubble, and they became used to living among rubble. A man named Nehemiah, he was one of these who, who was born during the time that his family lived in this foreign land. And his brothers went to visit Jerusalem, when they returned, they told Nehemiah that the walls had not been rebuilt. And this news deeply disturbed Nehemiah. And he began to pray and ask for God's favor as he committed himself to rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, a place where he had never been. Walls in that day had significant meaning. And in this case, uh, a wall around Jerusalem had spiritual meaning as well as a people uh, set, a, set apart by God to be a blessing to the world. And Nehemiah, as I told you, was in a foreign land, having never been to Jerusalem. He was working for a king, King Artaxerxes. And, and he, the king noticed Nehemiah's sadness and he asked him why he was sad. And Nehemiah explained the situation in Jerusalem and requested approval to leave his post and to obtain the needed materials to rebuild the wall. And this nice king, uh, not a Jew, not a descendant of Abraham, but this nice king who respected his subordinate, Nehemiah said yes. And he even provided him with military protection for the long journey to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem, examined the ruined walls, and he rallied the people. And in some unusual way that we really can't um, figure out other than it was just the hand of God, Nehemiah came and met all of these Jewish people he'd never met before, and he rallied them behind the cause of rebuilding the wall. I wonder how many people had attempted to do that. How many committee meetings had they had to discuss 
rebuilding a wall only to get nowhere and then all of a sudden this guy shows up out of nowhere with enthusiasm, with determination, with focus to rebuild this wall and the people got behind him. People from every class got behind this monumental effort. Priests, merchants, perfumers, even women who normally didn't do this type of work. They, they got all involved and people who did not even live in Jerusalem heard about it and just got excited and came and helped. There was one small group, though, of nobles from one tribe who refused to work, and I talked about them two weeks ago. And that brings us to today's sermon, What You Should Know About the Enemy. There are four points to the message today, and here they are. First, the enemy opposes God's work. Second, the enemy plots against God's people. Third, the enemy is merciless. Fourth, the enemy is not all-powerful. First, I want you to see that the enemy opposes God's work. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. <laughs> well, we know where this is going. With the first ridicule that came out of the mouth of Sanballat, what are those feeble Jews doing? That's all we had to hear, and we know where this story is going. Sanballat was the leading official of Samaria. And as you may recall from other biblical stories, there was a long-standing hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so it was no surprise that Sanballat opposed the rebuilding of the Jerusalem wall. He likely saw it as a direct threat to his power in the region. And Sanballat's first method of attack was so simple. People don't change much, do they? His first method of attack was ridicule. He was not a stupid man. He knew the value of a strong wall. He understood that it not only offered physical protection, but it also sp spoke of the identity of the Jewish people as being God's people and as being a powerful people. But he and his cohort, Tobiah, they were not interested in the truth of the matter. They opposed the project and would say or do whatever it took, whatever they could do, to halt the progress of the wall. Now, throughout history, many man-made projects have been delayed as a result of human opposition. According to some historical accounts, uh, workers staged a strike during the building of the Great Pyramid of Giza. 
Can you imagine that? A pyramid half built and all the pyramid workers go on strike. <laughs> they refuse to work because of the poor working conditions and the low pay. And then the Notre Dame de Paris took 200 years to complete. Some of you have been there. 200 years of construction because of delays caused by wars, riots, political unrest, and financial difficulties. And then some of you may remember, I remember it because I remember reading it in the Weekly Reader, that the Trans-Alaska Pipeline took three years to build because of substantial opposition from environmental activists and indigenous groups. I remember years later, after the pipeline was built, one of the things that came out that the, the warmth of the oil moving through the pipeline was good for wildlife in the winter in Alaska. But it's real interesting, and I remember in my lifetime too, how, how the, uh, one of TVA's dam, uh, dams was delayed because of the darter snail. Do you remember that? And so it wasn't delayed, it was scrubbed all together. In the same way that humans can oppose and frustrate projects, our enemy opposes any work of the Lord. And like Sanballat, the Bible says that Satan is a liar. From the very beginning of time, he's tried to use his words to deceive God's people and thwart God's plans. As you know, when the enemy was introduced in the Garden of Eden, he convinced Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by deceiving her into thinking that God was withholding something good. And in the wilderness, he tempted Jesus in an effort to undermine God's plan of salvation. I mean, now, that was ridiculous of Satan, but the enemy opposes God's work. And when we, when we serve the Lord and work to bring glory to his name, the enemy will take notice. As one famous commentator once wrote, if you start building, you soon start battling. So if you're building something for the kingdom of God, be ready. The enemy is going to attack because the enemy opposes God's work. Second, I want you to see, please write this down. The enemy plots against God's people. Not only does the enemy oppose God's work, but the enemy plots against God's people. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of builders. So that was a prayer. It's coming out of nowhere here. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites... And the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard 
day and night to meet this threat. Nehemiah took his concerns to the Lord in prayer. This is the third prayer of Nehemiah recorded in just these four chapters. This is an imprecatory prayer or a prayer for judgment for one's enemies. This prayer was common in the Old Testament, as you know, uh, especially in the Psalms. But it's not as prominent in the New Testament because of Jesus' command to love our enemies. Despite the opposition of God's work, Nehemiah and the people did not allow their enemies to, to thwart the building, and the work continued. And seeing this progress, Sanballat, this Samarian, uh, Samaritan leader, Tobiah, and the, the opposing governors grew even angrier and plotted together against God's people. It's interesting how enemies can form alliances to come against something else. So these people who pretty much hated each other and warred against each other with every opportunity they could come, they, they could come up with, <laughs> united together to fight against the Jewish people and Nehemiah is leading them to rebuild the wall. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And despite this promise, the Jewish people have had their share of enemies. The Egyptians enslaved them for 400 years. They were persecuted by the, by the Romans and the Europeans throughout the Middle Ages, and then the Holocaust was a a concerted effort to try to wipe them off of the face of the earth, and today they are opposed by their Middle Eastern enemies. Before the birth of Jesus, Satan was intent on destroying the Israelites who became known later as the Jewish people because he, he knew that they were God's chosen people and that a Savior would come from that lineage. And because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, Gentiles, those of us that are not descendants of Abraham, we have been grafted in. We've been grafted into God's family. But make no mistake, we might not be descendants of Abraham, known as Jews, but Satan is, is equally intent on destroying us. He's intent on destroying all of God's people. The enemy is well aware that his time is limited. The enemy, Satan, is well aware that one day he will pay the ultimate price for his rebellion and he will be completely destroyed. He knows that he cannot hurt Jesus except by hurting his people. And like Sanballat plotted against the Jews in Jerusalem, Satan plots against us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we see that the enemy opposes God's work. The enemy plots against God's people. And third, write this down. The enemy is merciless. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. 
and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Well, we see a little weakness here, don't we? Between the vigorous work and the constant threat of attack, the laborers began to give out. The job was a huge job. Their bodies were tired, and the the psychological warfare was getting to them. Did their enemies give them a break? Of course not. There was no truce. There was no, no pause for Christmas Day as there was in World War I. Sanballat and the other men saw that their efforts were making a difference, so they doubled down. Can you imagine the whispered rumors that spread from one builder to the next? The fear became palpable. The scripture just told us that the walls were half built. That it, was, it was half done. And they were tiring. Listen to me. Fear is insidious. It's contagious. It's crippling. And it's one of Satan's favorite tools to keep us trapped in an ineffective and self-centered lifestyle. Don't launch out and do this. Don't try that. Stay where you are. Be safe. Don't share Christ with someone because they might reject you. They might ridicule you. They might oppose your work. Okay, I'll just stay quiet. Satan's favorite tool is to just keep us trapped. The Bible tells us that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of self-control. 1 Timothy chapter 1. God says that he delivers us from our fears, but our enemy will say and do nothing to destroy the works of the Lord and his people. They will, will do anything. Listen to this. I believe that fear is Satan's food. If you want to starve Satan, don't be afraid. Be confident. Have faith. If, if you want to feed Satan and give Satan good nutrition to give him lots of energy and do more harm, feed him your fear. Feed him your fear. Remember, Satan does not play fair. Don't expect Satan to follow the rules. He's not going to. He doesn't have any rules. But he wants your fear. That feeds him. I just wonder how happy and fat Satan must be because he's fed on the fear of believers. So we see first that the enemy opposes God's work. The enemy plots against God's people. The enemy is merciless, but praise God, the enemy is not all-powerful. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 13 Nehemiah, what a great writer here and how he storied this for us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bowls. 
After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fights for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each one to do our work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. They weren't messing around. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. <laughs> Man, they were prepared. Verse 18, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And when I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah did not allow the taunts of the enemy to thwart God's plans. He prayed, and he prepared. He rallied the people and reminded them of the sovereignty of the God that they served. Nehemiah made sure that the people did their part, not only in the work, but also in their own protection. Then he trusted God for the victory. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight uh, for you against your enemies to give you victory. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Satan may be powerful, and he is, but his power is limited. Satan is like a vicious dog. He can bark, he can growl, he can bite, but he can only go so far because God has the leash. God is our creator. He's our savior. And as his people, we do not have to fear Satan. You know, there are some people that I know, their epitaph could say, you know, here lies, name of person, he was afraid his whole life. Well, you've got one life to live. Have you, have you lived your life consumed with fear? If so, you're, you're only living a half-life. In fact, you may not even be living a half-life. Fear, fear will take us down. We can trust Jesus. God is our, our loving, all-powerful Heavenly Father, and we can trust our lives in His care. I want to go back to the early part of this message and remind you that the first step in the attack against Nehemiah and the people over rebuilding the wall was ridicule. Naysayers running their big mouths. And the only way that ridicule has any success is when people listen. The only way ridicule gains any strength is when people start to believe what they're hearing and pass it on. And then ridicule becomes a toxic mix uh, with uh, slander. And then gossip is added to the mix. And then what you have 
is a glass of pure poison. James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says this. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If you see a work of God, do not ridicule. Stay quiet or encourage. If you see the wall somewhere half built as part of an effort that people are rallying behind, don't ridicule. Don't become jealous. Encourage. And you, I look out and I see this variety of people here. We have many people watching on our telecast and on YouTube. I I hear from people all over the place. So I, I really don't know where all this message goes. But somebody's probably listening to this message that has a vision, that has a plan, that's been working on that, it's been wor- you've been working on a goal, and you're about halfway there, and you, you've, you've heard the ridicule. You might know what I'm talking about here. And you've, you've stepped back, and you've taken a pause, because you're starting to believe the ridicule. Well, do like Nehemiah did, stop and pray. And then say, let's keep going and let's have our weapons by our side. Now, they had swords. We can have the sword of the Lord. They had literal weapons. One man was carrying building supplies while he had a sword. How, how awkward that must have been. No doubt that this effort took this, this sleeping group of people and put them on the map once again. They pressed on. The enemy opposes God's work. The enemy plots against God's people. The enemy is merciless, but the enemy is not all-powerful. The people of Jerusalem, under Nehemiah's leadership, learned powerful lessons about the enemy, but they learned more important lessons about themselves and their God. Because by working together, preparing themselves for battle, and trusting their Lord for the victory, they accomplished a task that many deemed impossible. As Christians, God has called us to build his kingdom. And we do that by living God-glorifying lifestyles and telling others about Christ. So the question is, are you doing your part? Are you working with other believers to, to build the kingdom of our Lord, or are you allowing fear, discouragement, fatigue to settle in and thwart the work of God's church on this earth? Are you listening to the ridicule of others, or are you listening to the voice of God? Well, I preached the gospel to you from the scripture as clearly as I know how. If you're not a Christian, then here's something you should know. There are only two sides You're either for Jesus or you are against him. There is no neutral territory. 
There's not a no man's land between. God has promised victory to his followers. And, and one day we will live eternally with him. Not because of anything we do or have done, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. And if you, if you want to join the winning team, we're going to have an invitation in just a few minutes where we invite you to join the winning team and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. I challenge you, if you're not a believer, don't live in fear. If you are a believer, step on that fear. Don't live in fear. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You've been listening to the Paul Gunn podcast produced by Marie McKinney Oates available on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tina Tran. Have a good day mate.